Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe, just maybe, the wisdom of podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most invigorating and interesting and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato, or Picasso, or Dostoevsky, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And don't be afraid of the leaping sparks as you can be certain of one thing, they will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the Wisdom of. Coming up today, Homer's Iliad. Uh, to to anyone out there who cares about my my recent absence from this pod, turns out uh, I was on on an extended, I guess you could call it uh, a vacation. See, I ended up going to the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, and it turns out that words don't necessarily have to have meaning. I thought, you know, Democratic Republic. I'd be heading to the land of, of K-pop, of cutting-edge technology, uh, meeting ancient traditions, of elected presidents. I thought, I'm going to South Korea. And I looked, and, and what cheap hotels, a week's stay for what amounted to three Canadian dollars. But like I said, turns out maybe I'm wrong about words, and Democratic and Republic, they actually don't mean what I thought. You can probably guess at this point that I ended up in North Korea. At risk of offending uh, our large North Korean listenership, I can't say that I had the best time while I was there. I mean, how many supervised visits to the Museum of America, the Great Satan, can one really enjoy? But here's how my trip became really extended. I don't think I've told any of you listeners about my day job. I actually do, do film criticism for... A Norwegian magazine called B.A. Senep og Filmer, which translates to Cars, Mustard, and Movies. I know, Norway is a very strange place. I write under the pen name Eustace Torper, so look for me online. And I'm one of the lucky few who got a ballot for the prestigious, the once-in-a-decade sight and sound poll. A poll that tries to establish the best films of all time. I tried to send in my ballot with my top 10, still in the DPRK or the DRPK or something like that, you know, North Korea. Well, the North Korean government, they took angry exception to my inclusion of the Seth Rogen, James Franco vehicle, the interview. Now, I don't speak Korean, but something about the way they were pointing their guns at me told me they were angry. 
Turned out, though, it wasn't because that the plot of that movie centered on the bumbling assassination attempt of their dear leader. No, it was the fact that I'd included a film that had a cancelled person in the lead, an alleged sexual predator, James Franco. Turns out they're pretty woke over there. So, long story less long, I spent a week in a re-education center, and my ballot didn't make it out in time. Worst of all, none of my choices made it onto the top 100 list. Not the interview, not Porky's, not Porky's 2 the next day, not even Porky's Revenge. But my absolute number one choice didn't make it. Troy. My God, I hope it wasn't one vote that kept it from cracking the list. What a movie. The filmmakers made a truly brave and bold choice to remove all the depth, all the gods, all the wonder, the philosophical premises, and replace them with Brad Pitt's abs. Truly visionary stuff. But let me guess, you think the book, sorry, epic poem is better. Well, uh, yeah, it's probably a little better. But that said, it's hard to compete with those abs. But, um, Porky's Revenge? Really? I think you need to go back to the re-education center. Oh, and so back to reality. And before I forget, I want to quickly add something. So, if you enjoy this podcast... Please support us if you can by giving us a rating, whether you're listening on iTunes or or Spotify or whatever else. I've said this many times before, but all we want to do here at The Wisdom Of is to try our best to spread the contagion of deep reflection. So yeah, if you're on board with that, please help us out. Okay, well, so first, and as usual, a brief summary. Well, the Iliad is one of the two major ancient Greek epic poems attributed to Homer, the other being the uh, Odyssey. The story takes place towards the end of the Trojan War, which essentially has been a ten-year attack on the city of Troy by a coalition of Greek states. At the center of the Iliad is the greatest of Greek warriors and hero of the Trojan War, Achilles. The Ilia is regarded as not only the first real example of European literature, but as one of the greatest stories ever written. If I can be permitted to make a bold stand here, you know, get on my soapbox for a bit, I'd venture that this Kanye West fella, I'll call him Ye if that's what he wants to, because Lord knows I don't want to hurt his feelings. But this guy, Ye, is not only pretty dumb, he might also be a bad dude. That said, as much as I have the suspicion that if I looked into one of his ears, I could see clear through to the other side, he might, in fact, accidentally embody one of the themes of the Iliad. Whatever absolutely demented fight he thinks he's in right now, he could easily walk away, just leave it all behind, live a billionaire lifestyle, try to raise his kids to become more well-adjusted than himself. But no, he's willing to burn it all down for what he's convinced himself is as having some kind of rectitude, some glory, maybe even everlasting glory. Now, some listeners are hopefully screaming right now, maybe in some kind of English accent that I'm being naff, a total nutter, a right git or something. Sure, that's a given. But think about it. If we look at the Iliad, how many of us would think, 
violently disemboweling a gaggle of Trojans, just trying to get some rich guy's wife to come home is some noble, glorious act. So put aside yay and put aside the disemboweled Trojans for a second and substitute your own idea of glory, of something grander, and think about Achilles' dilemma, the possibilities that he was offered. You could have a, a long, comfortable life, but one lived in obscurity, or go off, fight your war, whatever it is, achieve everlasting glory, but suffer death by heel. What's the best choice? Wow, so this one actually made some sense to me. Should Kanye stop talking so much and just live a long, comfortable life in obscurity? Or should he go out and fight his war but suffer death because of it? Well, I think most of us know what the right answer there is, but uh, let's let that play out. But forget Kanye. Let's talk about Achilles. So, in the Iliad, Achilles is famously described as having the choice between a long but relatively mundane life or a short life but one that will bring him everlasting glory. Here's what he says exactly when he's um explaining his two possible fates to Odysseus. He says, My mother tells me that there are two ways in which I may meet my end. If I stay here and fight, I shall not return alive, but my name will live forever. Whereas if I go home, my name will die, but it will be long before death shall take me. Okay, so just to give a bit more context here, what's happened at this point in the story is that Achilles has withdrawn from fighting with the Greeks against the Trojans because he feels he's been dishonored by the supreme commander of the Greek armies, Agamemnon. It's at this moment that he contemplates returning home. But then he remembers something. He remembers his, his mother's prophecy about him, made before he was born, which, as we've seen, said that he would either live a short, glorious life or a long, obscure one. Now, as I said, with everything that's happened up until now, Achilles is tempted to leave Troy and fulfill the prophecy's second option. But then what happens is that, just as he's preparing to leave for home, his best friend, Patroclus, is killed by the Trojan prince, Hector. It's at this point that Achilles returns to battle, knowing full well that he's now sealed his fate. That's to say, he's chosen the short, sacrificial life of glory as a result of his deeds, and not the path of the long, ordinary life at home. Okay, so now the question is, why does Achilles choose the short life of glory over the, over the long but uneventful one? Well, I think the answer is pretty obvious. Glory, through heroism, gives him a kind of eternal remembrance, right? He goes down in history, so to speak. He puts his identity permanently on record. Glory and heroism gives him a kind of immortality he could never achieve if he just played it safe at home and stuck to the uneventful life. And, um, by the way, it's interesting. What Achilles chooses to do is exactly the opposite of what Odysseus in Homer's later The Odyssey does. That's to say, Odysseus wants nothing more than to return to a safe homecoming, where he can live out the rest of his long life with his family. He'd rather be eternally forgotten than sacrifice those small, uneventful moments that belong to growing old and spending time with family. How very different this is from Achilles! Who, who knows that he will die alone without wife or child beside him. 
Anyway, the point with Achilles is that he recognizes the immortalizing power of glory and heroism. Actually, what you could say is that, in a way, what he recognizes is the power of art over nature or over his own earthly life. So, um, what do I mean by that? Well, by dying heroically for glory, Achilles turns himself into a story, or a legend, or a song. And so he turns himself and his life into a work of art, one which is, of course, destined to last forever. Actually, you know, we see the first instance of something like this in the oldest story in the world, the Epic of Gilgamesh, where Gilgamesh wants the events of his life written down on stone tablets so as to give his, his life longevity and turn it into one of legend. And you know, in all of this, there's something else that's fascinating here too. And that's the idea of dying at the right time. That's to say, what it means to be a hero in this ancient Greek world, is not just to welcome death and not fear it, but to achieve the perfect moment of a perfect death. To make death, what would you say, the defining moment of reality of one's life. Actually, now that I think about it, it's interesting. Nietzsche, through the mouth of his great character, Zarathustra, said something very similar. He also talked about how important it was to die at the appropriate time. To be more precise, what Zarathustra said was this. He said, Many die too late, and a few die too early. The doctrine still sounds strange, but die at the right time. Now, what the heck is that about? What's Nietzsche trying to say here? Well, I think that the first thing he seems to be suggesting actually somewhat like the ancient Stoics do, is that we should try as much as possible to make our death voluntary. That is, we should try to conquer natural death by transforming it into a free act. So we shouldn't let life drag on if it does no good. We shouldn't hang on too long. We shouldn't let death sneak up on us like a thief. Well, then if we're to choose when to die then when is that supposed to be exactly? Well, I think Nietzsche would say that it's when our highest goals and our creative activity has come to an end. Or, in other words, when it becomes increasingly impossible to live a meaningful and a creative life. And so, notice this, that in choosing when it's appropriate to die, we crown our life. Or to put it another way, when we die at the right time, what we're doing is we're letting our spirit shine forth in our death like an evening glow on the earth. Now, having said all this, I should mention something here. It's this. Nietzsche himself wasn't really the best example of someone dying at the right time. If anyone could be accused of, as uh, Zarathustra says, hanging on their branch a little too long and of failing to master the difficult art of going at the right time, it's Nietzsche. For, for those of you who don't know, in 1889, at the age of 44, Nietzsche collapsed on the streets of Turin, Italy, while trying to protect a horse from being flogged by its abusive owner, at which point he slowly lapsed into madness and spent the next 10 years mentally and physically incapacitated, with increasingly little idea of where or who he was. 
Then, at age 55, ten years later, essentially vacant and catatonic, he finally died. Died, you might say, for the second time. Now, given all this, it's pretty clear that Nietzsche died on the wrong side of Zarathustra's balance book, and that his death didn't shine like an evening glow on the earth. But here's something to think about. What if Nietzsche hadn't died at 55? But what if he died 11 years earlier in the very act of trying to protect that horse? Wouldn't he have died a better death, a victorious death, one that in a way summed up a lifetime of his goals and aspirations and his courage? And so wouldn't it have been a death that Zarathustra would have been proud of? Okay, but anyway, to conclude, let me go back to Achilles and the, and the Iliad for a moment. So, of course, Achilles' choice to go for the short life of glory speaks to this time, right? That's to say, Achilles' decision to choose eternal glory over a long life was clearly seen as the ultimate sign of heroism in the classical world. But I would argue that part of the reason this little passage in the Iliad resonates so strongly with us is not just because it's Achilles' prophecy, but because it's a choice that we all, to some extent, face. A choice, that is, whether we want to strive for something more worthy and pay the price for it, or whether we want to live a long, risk-free life, but one that passes up our secret hopes and dreams. Now, this isn't to say that these hopes and dreams we have are always about wanting to set up immortality for ourselves in the annals of history. No, some are simply visions of our own potential and glimpses of our unrealized ideals in whatever small measure. But however small, trying to actualize our potential and live up to our ideals still does mean some, some risk and courage and sacrifice. But let's be fair to the other side of things too. That's to say, let's also give rightful consideration to Odysseus's choice. You know, the decision to live the long, safe, domestic life. That's certainly got its own virtues too, even though it's a different kind of existence. In any case, I guess my ultimate point here was just to say that at the end of the day, Achilles is not just mythological. He's in all of us. He's that fork in the road between our two different destinies. One that will take us home to Pythia, the other to the battlefield at Troy. Listening to the Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. Our next episode. Agatha Christie. <laughs>